Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I'm your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today's discussion is going to take you to the United States. You will get an insight into modern way of building digital healthcare we've all been waiting for. What I mean by that is telehealth that goes beyond just video consultations with medical experts, but additionally covers delivery of medications to your home and enables diagnostic testing at home. I talked to the CEO of Trupil, Sid Vishwanathan. Trupil helps traditional healthcare companies, plant groups, and pharmaceutical manufacturers create customized digital experiences at scale with Trupil's digital platform. Sid shared some thoughts about how is digitalization changing the pharmacy industry in the U.S., He talked about the rise of modern digital healthcare and what healthcare companies need to know about building digital experience for their customers. Enjoy the show and to browse through other episodes as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. And if you like what you hear, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. You can also subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes automatically. Now, to Sid. Sid, hi. Let's start with the beginnings of Trupil. You and your co-founder Umar Afridi met over LinkedIn, uh, where you called emailed Afridi. And if Trupil was founded in 2020, everybody would be like, of course, you guys met through LinkedIn. But that wasn't the case. The company is over four years old now. So I wonder, how did that cold email look like? What exactly followed it? Yeah, well, first off, hi, Tiasha. Thank you so much for, for having me today. It's, it's great to be here. And that's totally right that our relationship really started on a LinkedIn message. And the irony of it was I was just coming off my latest stint working at LinkedIn and having sold my last company to LinkedIn. And so just with any other starting of a relationship, um, I, I usually tend to lead with a question and I ask some questions about the the pharmacy space specifically. And I remember this almost like it was yesterday when I went into LinkedIn and I, I believe I typed in pharmacist and, and founder or pharmacist and entrepreneur and Omar's profile came up and his headline said, CVS pharmacist and startup enthusiast. And I was like, this is obviously the guy I need to message. And so dropped him an in-mail on the platform and he responded within minutes. And I think he was actually in the UK at the time, so several hours ahead and responded. And that really started the dialogue to, to go back and forth to be able to ask a number of questions uh, about the pharmacy industry. And, and Omar, having been in the space for over 10 years as a retail pharmacist, he really understood the ins and outs. So I'm here now several time zones away sitting in California, typing away, asking questions and realizing that the person on the other end has 10 years of expertise in, in knowing the industry. And from my vantage point, I'm sitting here just thinking about what is the next problem space I want to get into? What is the next type of company that I want to build? 
And here I have an Omar, a wealth of knowledge that helped me for, for several months from that point forward, not only getting to know each other, but learning about the industry. And I think that's really the most important thing in the early stages of a, of a startup is, is, is getting to know your co-founder, getting to understand your chemistry and how you guys work together when you, when you're forming the initial thesis of an idea. And, and for us, it was, we're getting to know each other first before we even arrive at what is our startup thesis. And I think a lot of people, the conventional wisdom is that you need to know your co-founder for, for many years or need to know your founder for a long time before you get started. And I think that's certainly good advice when you're getting started. But in our case, I wanted to go into healthcare at that point, And I didn't have anyone that I had a, a prior relationship with healthcare. And Omar was that person that really helped me understand the the ins and outs of the pharmacy industry as we began to place the initial bet for the company. Why did you get interested in healthcare? Yeah, when I left LinkedIn, I, I, I didn't really know exactly what industry or what space I wanted to work into. All I knew at that point was that I wanted to go back to the drawing board. I got that itch again to start a company again and spent as many founders typically do in Silicon Valley, these different periods of time where you're exploring different industries and different sectors. And I made healthcare sort of the focus for that week or that month and, and diving into different parts of the, the different ecosystem to try to better understand it. And there were just so many parts. It's such a massive, vast industry just in the United States alone. And interestingly, I actually started my career when I first came out of college in healthcare. I worked for two years at Johnson & Johnson in a program that allowed me to rotate through different business units and learn about healthcare. And at the time, I actually want to run away from healthcare as quickly as possible. I thought that it was the the slowest moving industry. I thought the regulation was complex. And then I was looking, meanwhile, across the pond at many of my college friends that were working in the tech sector and saying, wow, these guys have a very different life. It's very high pace. It's very interesting. And so I made the jump to go into software and technology and, and built my first technology startup and in many ways, 2014 was was the, the coming back around, the full circle back into healthcare and realizing that sometimes the, the most interesting problems are in the hardest industries and the most complex industries. And after you go through a startup the first time, you realize that the next phase, you have the luxury of a little bit of choice to, to put some time and thought into what type of problems do you want to solve? What do you want to spend the next 10 years of your life on? And for me, healthcare had all the the aspects of a very complex, difficult industry to crack. And that was extremely intriguing for me when I was getting started. You started with Truebill inside the pharmaceutical industry. So just to warm up the scene a little bit, uh, I wonder how do you see the digitalization reshaping the pharmaceutical market? To name a few statistics, uh, the U.S. prescription drug market is worth 400 billion U.S. dollars and companies such as GoodRx, Rx Saver and now Amazon Pharmacy are starting to bring pricing transactions transparency to the space. Online pharmacy services are projected to hit revenues of 131 billion US dollars by 2025 worldwide. A lot of things are happening. It seems that uh, the pharmaceutical space is getting slowly disrupted or at least changed in many aspects. This is the best time ever to be in, in healthcare. And I think everything that you just stated there is, is perfect evidence of that. 
that every industry and time has gone through its own consumerization or its own consumer shift at different points in time. And I think now is the perfect moment in history to, to begin to start thinking about consumer-led healthcare. We live in a world today where we open up our phones, we press a few buttons, and something shows up at our door in the same hour or, or the following day. And when you ask the basic questions of, of why does that not exist in healthcare, why does that not the norm for our healthcare experiences, we're starting to see consumers wake up to say, this is what I ex- not only expect, but this is what I demand. And you're starting to see the the over, overwhelming directional shift towards consumer-led healthcare, where consumers now are so sh- savvy that they're shopping in the places they want for the healthcare experiences that they desire, whether it's going to GoodRx to look for a prescription discount savings are going to a direct-to-consumer health brand to purchase medication and everything in between, you're seeing consumers really take control of this. And for us as a company like TruePill, being in the midst of this this revolution, if you will, and this change to consumer-driven healthcare is an extremely exciting time. And then when you magnify that with the backdrop of a pandemic and, and seeing how the whole country and whole world has had to shift to a consumer-led, a digital-led model We've been talking about digital health for three to four years, and now COVID has come around and the pandemic has accelerated all of our visions. And I think it's expanded to not just the pharmaceutical sector being disrupted, but when you think about the adjacent markets and in telehealth and being able to see a doctor virtually, as well as diagnostics and being able to get a lab completed at the comfort of your own home with a lab test being mailed to you, there are so many different components that are slowly being disrupted. And now is is the best time ever in history to start thinking about how do you bring all these disparate parts together with a clean and seamless consumer health experience? You described very nicely the years-long frustration that uh, patients and just healthcare consumers have, so the lack of digitalization. But if we try to go back to 2016, how did you and Umar finally identify what you could offer the other side or how to bridge the gap, you know, between the consumers and the industry and provide them uh, with the digital backend that you're now offering, you know, in very short, what's the problem that you're trying to solve or actually are already solving? Yeah, if you look at the origins of telehealth, many people know that telehealth has been around for a long time, probably since the dawn of the internet, we saw our first telehealth experiences. So your point is very valid. What changed in 2016? What was different in the market? And at that point in time, we started to see this this new model emerge in the marketplace where there was a realization that it's not just the telehealth experience that can be magical, but it's also the downstream experience of getting your medication, where up until that point in 2016, the most common telehealth model in the industry was you can go online to consult with a physician. If that physician deems that it's necessary for you to receive a prescription, they would ask you, where do you want to send this prescription? And your common response in the United States would be a Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS. And that prescription would be written and you would go in to then pick it up. So, so when you think about that and take a step back, you have this magical experience on your mobile device sitting in the comfort of your own home. But yet to complete that last mile, you now have to get out of your couch, you have to get in your car, you have to drive into a retail pharmacy, you have to wait in line to pick it up, and then repeat that every 30 days. And and when we looked at that, we said, clearly the the model is going to shift towards a complete end-to-end solution. And we started to see the emergence of these amazing brands build 
truly innovative experience that go end to end. And part of that end to end experience was bringing the pharmacy into the patient's home. And so for us, that meant our initial go to market was, well, as you guys build these amazing telehealth experiences, how can we then help you plug into pharmacy infrastructure where the medication then shows up at your doorstep the following day and you repeat that every single month? So now the experience becomes you open up the phone on your couch, you answer a set of questions, you consult with a provider online, and the following day medication shows up at your door and you repeat that process every month. That was what we saw as the future. And we felt at that point in time, in order to accomplish that, the traditional and current pharmacy infrastructure in the market was not equipped to handle that. It really required a new type of pharmacy model, a new type of pharmacy infrastructure, a new type of platform. And that's what we set out to build in the earliest days of 2016. And how do you then today see the opening of the Amazon pharmacy? Because that's basically what it does. You know, it offers consumers the option to get medications delivered to their homes. And not only that, you know, the premium uh, subscribers can uh, see savings from uh, 80% of generics and 40% of brand name medications when paying without insurance. So the a significantly different experience. Yeah, well, I like to say that every industry has its Amazon moment in time. And so here we are now where Amazon is entering the, the market and certainly all eyes are on what they may do in the space and we're all watching closely. But I think the, the most important macro trend to, to focus on here is that it's being driven by a consumer driven interest here. Consumers are dictating what types of experiences they want to shop for their healthcare experiences, to shop for their medications, both insurance as well as cash products. And for us as a company in Truepill, We've always positioned our business as, as not being a direct-to-consumer brand that's trying to compete with Amazon directly. Instead, we are the infrastructure player that's trying to help the incumbents, the largest health plans in the country, the largest drug manufacturers, start to think about how to consumerize their experiences to, to stay relevant. So while Amazon will continue to, I think, make a dent in the industry, our job as a platform is to help some of the largest healthcare organizations in the country figure out Well, how do they consumerize their experience? Because as we discussed uh, just a moment ago, we're going through that shift in our own industry where consumerization is happening. And regardless of where you are in the healthcare industry and what part of the healthcare industry you work in, if you don't embrace this consumerization sift, if you don't think about how to bring consumers front and center to the experiences that you're building, well, then you run the risk of, of really significant threats to your business over over the long term. And this might not happen overnight. This might not shift tomorrow. But over the next several years, you start to slowly see the unbundling of healthcare and consumers going to wherever they want to to shop for their healthcare experiences. And that presents a tremendous risk for the existing infrastructure in the United States in, in terms of how healthcare is done. And our job as a platform is to help some of these partners and our customers begin to think about consumerizing their their core experiences. I think everybody's been thinking long about uh, how to do that, you know, in healthcare, the 
problem was they didn't know how. Uh, one thought really struck me recently when I was reading a report uh, or about digitizing and integrating primary care in New Zealand, Australia, and uh, the US. Um, and the author of the paper noted that one of the key issues is that uh, managers in healthcare lack change management skills, you know, and you yourself mentioned before how uh, a little bit frustrated perhaps you were when you were working with uh, at the Johnson and Johnson and realizing how slow the healthcare industry is. So going from that perspective and going from the fact that being digital today is a necessity for survival, what would your advice be um, how companies can go about building digital experience for their customers? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it starts fundamentally with understanding the needs and wants of the consumers. And if you put yourself at the center of it and even use that Amazon experience that you just referenced, like we have experiences using Amazon Prime. We know what we expect. And and asking some of those basic questions of why can't I get my medications the same way? Why can't I talk to the doctor in the same fashion? Or why do I need to go into a lab to get this lab test done? And you ask some of those initial basic questions to understand what is the right consumer health experience? I think that's first and foremost is understanding the needs of consumers. And we're all consumers as, as parents, as children, as brothers and sisters. We know what we've come to expect from our digital world and transcending that into our healthcare experiences is first and foremost. I think the second thing would be understanding that consumers' mindsets are, are rapidly shifting. We live in a world where Three months from now, I can't tell you exactly what the consumer mindset could be or where it's shifted. And especially that's been true going through a pandemic where we've seen arguably some of the biggest behavior changes in the history of time of, of, of the modern, at least internet era, where people have had to drastically change the way they work, the way they live and the way they operate day to day. That provides a tremendous opportunity for healthcare to begin to pivot. And so my, my biggest piece of advice would be, the traditional mindset of healthcare has always been, well, how do we think about reinventing an experience over the next two years or, or three years? And the reality of it is consumer expectations change in three months. So if you don't begin to understand how to prototype, how to build, how to test ideas and concepts in a rapid three-month fashion or a rapid startup-like fashion, you will always fall behind to where the consumer shift is going and where the consumer's interest is going. So I think that thinking about how to break down the timelines to move at a pace that we've never seen in healthcare while still maintaining the patient's safety, we're not suggesting in any ways to cut corners to compromise the safety of patients, but really thinking about digital experiences that shouldn't take more than a few months to build to radically improve the quality of patients' lives. I think it's that's what we're seeing as an overall trend in the industry, and we're encouraged by the fact that some of the work we've been doing as a platform has has showcased a lot of our partners moving. What we like to say is like they've moved in the last three to four months faster than they would have moved in five years. And a lot of that is is certainly the market pressure, but it's also refreshing to see that an understanding of how fast consumer mindset shifts and just keeping up with that change is extremely critical to to compete in this new digital healthcare era. Once the pandemic ends, do you think that will still be the case? Because one of the questions that has been mentioned uh, in this year was, 
what's going to happen with payments of digital solutions once things go back to normal. Are insurance companies going to still be as open to paying as much for telehealth as they are uh, now? And I think another thing that we need to be mindful of is the fact that the consumer space or the patient space is very diverse. So there's a whole population of people that are over 65 that perhaps do still prefer an in-person experience because there's, you know, the, the tech generation gap. So a lot of challenges to address, I guess. Yeah, I think if you if you look at and ask a basic question to someone that experience telehealth for the very first time, maybe in the last nine months going through the pandemic, and you ask them, do you want to go back to the old way that healthcare was done? I think that's where you'll find the the answer to that question is that this has created a new expectation in the market. And this is uh, no more true than one of the programs we did with with a large healthcare insurer and the United Healthcare Group around the, the flu COVID uh, situation that we're about to enter. Broadly speaking, this is the first time ever in history that we're about to enter a flu season where you're not going to know whether you have COVID symptoms or flu symptoms. And senior citizens in the United States above the age of 65 are, are most at risk for, for this problem that we're about to enter. And so we worked directly with the United Healthcare Group to put together a program for 400,000 senior citizens and saw really unprecedented uptick in terms of the, the speed and the interest of enrollment in this program. And this was, mind you, for an audience that was 65 plus years old. And so the appetite for these experiences in your home, it transcends every age group. And it's not just for millennials that are using their phone to, to use these experiences. It extends into 65-year-old at-risk members who are looking to make sure they take care of their health. And yes, you may have to rethink how you approach them, where it, they might not on on board through a website, for example, and you need to put into a place a way to call that member to enroll them. Or you give them the comfort of a doctor consultation over the phone instead of going through a video chat, for example. You follow the the, the means and the tools to provide that 65-year-old member the appropriate level of care and the channels that they're most comfortable with. And, and yes, to your point, they may not have smartphones. They may not be the most techno technologically savvy but they certainly are looking for new and more innovative ways to receive their healthcare, And I think that was very much reinforced by some of the work that we're doing. And, and that encouraged us to say that there's no age group where telehealth and, and digital experiences is limited to. It applies to all segments of healthcare in the United States and, and very soon across the, the entire world. Truepill's initial customers were direct-to-consumer brands, but as you mentioned yourself, you're also working with larger healthcare companies. Can you perhaps describe how the company evolved? You know, how are you expanding? How are you rethinking what you're doing and getting new ideas about what else to offer to consumers and customers? The initial customers that we service in the direct to consumer space, they are the reason we exist as a company. We built our business off their rising demand and the interest from the consumers in terms of the experiences they were building. They are the innovative pioneers that have really disrupted the way healthcare is delivered in the market. And today we, we power 65 plus companies that are, are doing this at scale and in various different fashion. And what's become very clear is that 
the largest institutions in the country, whether it's the health plans, the hospital systems, the drug manufacturers are looking at this and saying, well, we would like to consumerize our experiences as well. How do we become more relevant in the digital health age? How do we build experiences that are engaging and capture the attention of consumers across the country in the same way that our customers like a GoodRx or a Hims and Hers have been able to achieve in the market? And so our job as a company now is, is starting to think about it's the same underlying infrastructure, the same assets we've built for our direct-to-consumer brands in our pharmacy offering, in our telehealth offering, in our diagnostics offering, and thinking about how to bring that to the health plans and, and payers while they think about how do they consumerize and make their experiences more engaging and, and modern. And so it's created this, this overwhelming shift for everyone in the industry. If you weren't already thinking about digital, well, well, now is the best time in history to start thinking about it. And if you don't think about it, well, your businesses face significant risks over the, over the coming years as we're only going to see a continued proliferation of all these direct to consumer healthcare brands that are content, continuing to thrive in the market. And there's no shortage of the types of experiences and things you could build as a direct to consumer healthcare brand. You mentioned uh, 65 plus uh, customers. Just, you know, for a little bit of better understanding of Trupil, can you mention what kind of services do you offer? And more importantly, what kind of services don't you offer? You know, just so we have a, a clearer picture of what exactly Trupil is and which companies can turn to you and which companies might better turn to someone else. Yeah, well, let's go back to kind of how we define Trupil as a company. Today, we, we describe ourselves as a digital health platform that combines telehealth, diagnostics, and pharmacy to help power consumer health experiences. So, so when you unpack that statement, we feel very broadly that anyone in the healthcare industry, both in the United States, even across the world, if you have this thinking of how do I build a more engaging, a more captivating consumer health experience that my end customer or my member wants, we think that Trupil is a platform you, you can turn to to start understanding how we can help you power that. And when you look underneath the hood, the three basic core services that we offer are pharmacy services, which are getting medication from point A to point B, which is usually your customer's home or your patient's home. The second is telehealth, is being able to provide your member, your consumer, an experience to be able to connect with a doctor in the state that they live in. And then the third component is diagnostics, being able to get a lab test in your home or conveniently facilitate an in-home visit or something at, at a local lab in your, in your area. And those are the three components that we help our partners think about when they go to consumerize their experiences. And the fourth thing that ties it all together is, is obviously our technology, our APIs, our e-commerce store builder. Now we're going into a new world where we help our customers build the front doors. We help our customers build the, the front end web experiences where that 65 year old, 65 plus year old member that wants to deal with flu COVID this year, they come to a, onto a website that we built. They onboard, they enroll. And then one of our facilities across the country is packing and shipping a flu COVID kit to their homes. And so we've gone from just being a pharmacy focus to now a full platform that combines pharmacy, telehealth, as well as diagnostics and all the web building tools and all the infrastructure to make you successful as a consumer health brand. 
or healthcare company? One of the bigger challenges uh, in telehealth or, or telemedicine is or was uh, until recently that what telehealth meant was a video consultation with a doctor. And oftentimes that was uh, not useful because it didn't save in-person visits to patients. Now this is changing with solutions such as TitoCare and diagnostics are a next important step into making healthcare completely accessible from home. So since you are working with lab testing providers to offer hundreds of at-home tests, can you explain a little bit further regarding how that looks like, you know, what kind of tests can actually be done from home? Yeah, diagnostics has been that that crucial missing link into tying together all the digital health movement. When you think about the chronic conditions in America today and, and really across the world that plague hundreds of millions of Americans from diabetes to, to heart disease to kidney disease and cholesterol. And you start to think about from a clinical standpoint, what does it require to provide a high quality clinical visit for some of these conditions? Well, well, let's take cholesterol, for example. And you talk to any provider really across any geographic, uh, area in the world, I would say, and you ask them, well, how do you safely diagnose a cholesterol patient? How do you safely treat them? And I think the overwhelming majority will tell you that a lab test is a critical component of it. You need to know what a patient's lipid profile looks like, what their numbers look like from a cholesterol panel to begin to understand what the next step in intervention and treatment looks like. But when you start to think about accompanying lab test results, a along with a, a doctor visit, whether that doctor visit is over the phone, over a questionnaire online, or even over video, you start to unlock these chronic conditions that plague hundreds of millions of Americans and billions of people around the world to be able to offer a safe online visit. And so diagnostics, we think, is, is a huge component to help us get to some of those chronic disease states that affect the largest amounts of people and the largest numbers of people across the world. And so when you bring that all together and combine diagnostics with telehealth and then give providers the ability to write the prescription and then that medication shows up at your home, you really have that end-to-end -end comprehensive platform to, to really account for just about every healthcare situation imaginable. Now, with that said, there's certainly, as you pointed out, the need for in-person healthcare. There are certainly disease states and conditions where you have to see a provider in person or you have to receive care in person. And that's not going to be replaced. We, we cannot give you an MRI. You cannot perform a CAT scan through telehealth. That's just not physically possible. But then understanding, even as we evolve into the next post COVID era, thinking about what these hybrid models are. Well, can you go into a outpatient center to get an MRI and then have your telehealth provider call you on the phone the next hour? Like what are the hybrid models that involve both diagnostics as well as in-person and telehealth care? And I think that's the future where we're going into for some of the more complex disease states. And uh, it's a really exciting time to see how all these pieces come together. But I think what we're most excited about is, is being really the only platform today that, that combines all three of those in a, in a platform manner between diagnostics, telehealth, pharmacy, and we're excited to see, see the possibilities unfold. So what are the current ch uh, challenges 
that you are still trying to figure out how how to solve. We talked a lot about what the frustrations in healthcare were in the past, how this is now changing with new solutions. Um, you know, it almost sounds that uh, all problems in terms of the patient experience are uh, about to be solved, but I'm sure that there are still things that are turning out to be a tough nut to crack. So, you know, in your experience, what, what's the hardest part that's still kind of keeping us from this bright future? I think the one that j jumps to mind for me when, when you ask that question is, is going back to this concept of like the speed of change and the speed of innovation. It's one of the biggest challenges is different parts of the healthcare ecosystem from different organizations across the spectrum. There are different stages of understanding how much they need to invest into consumer health. There's no denying now that digital health is here. It's here to stay. But the next question as a business becomes, well, how much do I invest into it? How fast do I need to shift my business over into a digital health world? And what COVID has created for, for the entire market is this realization that most organizations don't have the infrastructure to make that switch overnight. They need to accelerate some of their thinking. They need to accelerate how fast they begin to innovate to drive some of this change. And so I think that old school mindset of spending the next two years investing into how we make the switch is just frankly too slow. And, and one of the biggest challenges we face is educating them that in two years, the world is going to look very different. You need to start placing those bets. You need to start thinking about what those consumer health experiences are that need to be built right now. Otherwise, you run the risk of, of missing the boat. And, and if the ship sails and consumers' interests have gone to different types of experiences, it's hard to recapture that years down the road. So one of the challenges is it's just getting the industry overall to move as quickly as possible. And, and that's, that's our job. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing is advocating for why digital is extremely important to every part of healthcare and, 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 and adding to that by showing our customers how to use our tools to accomplish the goals they need. Truepill is also present in the UK. So I really want want to uh, ask you, you know, what's your experience there? Because the system in the UK uh, is different. I would say that is moving uh, slower than the US healthcare system is. So how would you share your experiences? Let's start there. Operating in the UK has taught us a lot of things. I think to your point, the, the, the major difference is a single payer centralized system with, with the NHS in the UK and understanding the dynamics of that and understanding how different markets in, in Europe operate, for example. And I think those subtleties and nuances are things that we're, we're actively learning and uncovering as, as we begin to experiment and dabble in what the international telehealth scene could look like. But what is, what is extremely encouraging to us is when you look at Very large telehealth organizations across the world. Uh, take, for example, an organization like Cry in, in Europe or the Ping An Group in China, for example. These are very well-established telehealth businesses that are at the cutting edge in their respective geographies, yet they haven't brought all the pieces together. They haven't brought together the pharmacy piece or they haven't brought the diagnostics piece. And so what's exciting about our platform is, is we like to position it as Tell us which parts of our stack you need to use. You don't need to use all of it. If you need just the pharmacy component, here's how you can use this. If you need just the diagnostics component, here's how you can use it. 
But the, the broad trend that we're seeing is that this consumer shift is happening across the world at, at, to your point, at different rates and different pace. But we want to make sure that as we continue to set our eyes beyond the U.S. healthcare system in the coming years, how do we begin to place that bet? And, and we felt that being in the U.K. is the, is the best starting point to do that. Uh, from the U.K., you can actually service about 13 different countries in Europe, and it's a great market for us to begin to experiment with as we think about uh, global aspirations in the coming years. Did anything surprise you going to the UK? You've got a good uh, head start with a co-founder that's coming from there, that's for sure. That's right. I think the biggest surprise for, for us and, and just looking across the industry is the United States actually has very unique laws and regulations around advertising prescription products and, and medical experiences. And a lot of other countries in the world don't allow you to advertise for a medication in the same way that the United States does. It's actually not allowed. And so that creates a different marketing challenge in terms of, well, how do you get distribution? How do you get awareness for a specific consumer health experience or consumer health product? And so I think that's something that we knew that going into it, but understanding the challenges of how do you overcome that? So how do you get distribution for your product? Well, in the U.S., we've seen how some of our best performing customers, they've mastered the art of digital advertising, whether that's on Facebook or Instagram or TV and radio. They have become experts in how they promote and advocate for their brand and their experiences. And some of those things are just not allowed within the construct of uh, the European sort of system. And that is the same across different parts in Asia and across the world. And so that's something that uh, we've learned along the way that Although not surprising, we still have to figure out how to overcome. That's definitely different. I think there's just two or three countries, don't take my word for it, but yeah, a very small uh, number of countries around the world allow direct-to-consumer advertising of prescription medications. My opinion is that that's very good, uh, but yeah, that's... You're, you're spot on. My, my father-in-law, in fact, uh, he lives in India and he, he comes and stays with us here in San Francisco and... He actually asked me that question once, like, you're actually allowed to advertise for drugs on TV and radio in the United States? I was like, yeah, this is, I've grown up my whole life seeing these ads and things on, on Facebook and, well, now more recently on Facebook and Instagram. And for him, it would actually, it was actually more of a surprise because it's, it's certainly not allowed in, in India, which, where he's from. And so it's interesting to see different perspectives from how healthcare is, is marketed and promoted across the world. I just have one question for you, which is not exactly related to healthcare, but definitely related to careers and business development. And that is prior to starting Truepill, you worked for LinkedIn. You and your co-founder met there. So can you offer some reflection regarding the online presence and networking and the meaning of it that went on a whole new level? this year, you know, so how do you see the changing landscape of how we connect and collaborate or do business? Yeah, when I sold my my last startup to, to LinkedIn in 2011, I, I was very fortunate to see a really unique hyper growth moment in, in the LinkedIn history. And I, I remember that. And I remember a lot of folks would tell me, Sid, you might only get one chance in your lifetime to see this type of hyper growth. And that was certainly the case, seeing the company scale from a thousand people or a little less than a thousand when I joined to over 10,000 three years later, that type of hyper growth you get to maybe see once in a lifetime. And, you know, learning from that scaling experience, learning from that hyper growth, 
we're really excited because we're going through our own type of hyper growth in healthcare today and, and more specifically in, in TruePill. And so, yes, it's a completely different business model. I've certainly seen how network effects and that business model is, is arguably one of the most powerful business mode that you can find. But now I'm starting to learn that in healthcare, you have things called PBMs and, and pharmacy benefit managers, which have their own equally daunting and uh, powerful moats that they've built over several years in, in this country. And I think there are things you can learn from my time at LinkedIn and seeing the hyper growth and scale that we saw there and applying those lessons to trying to figure out how to scale a healthcare organization. And that's a, a really fun challenge that I don't think there's any playbook. There's no there's no recipe that, that you can build to figure that out. And one of the things that I learned from Reed Hoffman, and he, he talks about this a lot, he describes building a startup is like jumping off a cliff and, and trying to build your airplane on your way down. Or I think I butchered that quote, but it's like you're building an airplane, but you, you jump off a cliff and then you figure out how to build it on your way down. And in many ways, that's what it feels like at TruePill, that there's no, you can't go to someone and say, well, how do I scale a hyper growth healthcare organization. There's no blueprint for that. There's no model to follow. And so we just need to continue to innovate and adapt and, and grow as quickly as possible to, to meet the growing needs. But it's uh, it's a really fascinating time to be in healthcare. And even beyond TruePill, my advice to, to any entrepreneur, any founder, any executive thinking about making a change in their careers or pursuing a new venture, this is the best time ever to be in healthcare. And the more technology folks that we have that can come into healthcare, I think it's better for the overall consumer healthcare movement. What better way to fuel that than to have some of the best consumer product and, and engineering leaders from traditional technology backgrounds move into healthcare. And that's something that we're hopefully helping foster. Are you still uh, connecting to and trying to meet experts and talented people in the same manner that you met your co-founder? You're always doing that as, as a founder, one of your lifelong passions is to keep learning. And that intellectual curiosity, that doesn't change whether you're in the first day of starting your company to, to being four years in. And that intellectual curiosity is, is what fuels us. And that is often served by meeting people that can help you understand different parts of the market. And yes, a lot of my focus now is is meeting different folks in healthcare and understanding the different dynamics of healthcare because it's just such a complex and massive industry. I feel in some days I wake up that I can spend the next 10 plus years in healthcare and, and still only barely make a dent in the industry. But then I can look back and say, even a small dent in healthcare being a multi-trillion dollar industry could be very impactful. And so that, that can re-energize you, but it can certainly be daunting at times and overwhelming with all the different moving parts in healthcare. But I can tell you, if you want to be a lifelong learner and, and that intellectual curiosity fuels you, there's really no better industry than healthcare to, to sink your teeth into and, and spend years and years trying to understand what is actually happening in our industry and how do you make it better for, for patients and consumers. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating or a review by going to www.lovethepodcast.com slash faces of digital health and you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. Stay tuned.
sound right, boys.